H-Town, I'm back. It's great to be home. So I wasn't buying it, but then these whispers all of a sudden, now this is like a roar. This is coming from all over the place when you talk to folks around the league that they might not take a quarterback. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight for the Great British Isles. It's draft week. It's finally here. Another two picks in the top 12, and nobody really seems to have a clue what the Texans are going to do. But we're going to just tee it up very briefly this week. Um, and if you've got time to listen to it in the four days before it kicks off on Thursday night. But I'm joined by Oliver Hodgkins from Pro Football Network. Join us for a second year in a row. Ollie, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Lovely to be back. Really enjoyed talking about the Texans draft last year. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this year's class, one of the more interesting teams in this in 2023 draft class for the Texans. Yeah, well, I think last year I was listening back to some of the points we made and some we were pretty close on, I think, and then others we were less so. Um, but uh, how have you found this year's process? I know you're going through a bit of a change working more on college focus, but how have you found this process and how would you sort of kind of view this draft class from a top line view? It's really interesting because it's a it's a class that has been I I feel like um, from a, a national media and international media consensus the kind of a class that has been derided for not being that great. But I think you know we we turned the page and onto this draft class pretty much as soon as 2022 NFL draft finished. And I think when you spend that much time working on these players studying these players, watching throughout the college football season as well, you realise there there is talent in this class. And there's some really, like the cornerback position, for example, is is extremely talented. I think it's a great edge class. I think there's a lot of, of, of good offensive tackle talent. Obviously, the quarterbacks are going to dominate the conversation, especially for a team like Texans. So it's a talented class. It hasn't got some of the, the blue chip talent that have, we've seen in previous years, maybe not. Um, but I'm very excited to see how it pans out because I think it's got the potential for absolute chaos, like you alluded to. Then is no one really seems to know what's going to happen uh, on Thursday, and I, I think that's great. Like that makes for ex- you know that makes for exciting um, coverage, and that's what the the NFL draft is meant to be. It's meant to be exciting, and and so I can't wait for the for the Panthers to be on the clock, and we'll and that'll dictate the direction from then on out. Yeah, and I think they've got tighter on, or certainly I think there's more direction um, from the shield about making this as alluring as possible. I think because you've kind of got that, uh, it was at the Baker Mayfield draft, wasn't it? It came out common knowledge that he was going number one and then that week. Now, that was a bit of a, a departure or a change of what people necessarily anticipated running up. And I was like, yeah, you could argue quite comfortably. I think it wasn't the right call for. Um, them to make with John Dorsey and the Browns at that time but I think certainly there is an expectation that one overall is one of two guys I think that's safe to say um, I don't think that takes any um, expert or uh, of uh, or great great deal of study to, to suggest that but what I think would be really interesting is the Texans have literally been the talk of pretty much the whole league of, of an inflection point of the draft and obviously nobody knows where it's going. You can't really go and bookmakers um, odds because they're, you know, they're aggregates. And I saw actually somebody tweet that out um, today. It was Albert Breer just said, you know, GMs don't funnel, funnel information to Vegas because for their own benefit. Those are illegal. Um, so I think, you know, so that, you know, people like to you take all these different, so this, it's gone from definitely being um, Strout at one de- to therefore, Bryce Young being your only guy left then it's gone from talking about Tyree Wilson then it's gone to uh, um, 
Will Anderson's the, a, a safe prospect now. They might trade back, they might not. They might take Will Levis. Will Levis has dropped for two. So when you add all up, I don't think anybody's got a freaking clue what's going to happen to Cup Thursday night. Um, from your view, what would you what would you think, of, or from your view, what would you think would be an advisable pick at two? Just say they stay there and pick. I think it's it's interesting. This is why I say the Texans are one of the more interesting um, picks in the, the whole draft class because I think from an outside perspective, it very much feels like the Davis Mills experiment isn't going to be the long-term path to success. So that almost immediately, and when you bring in a new head coach as well, you bring in a guy like D'Amico Ryans, you want to immediately put your stamp on the program with a new guy at the quarterback position. Regardless of of who you are as a coach and what your philosophies are as a coach, you the quarterback is the most important position in in sport in in the NFL certainly. And and you you pitch your wagon to the quarterback when you're a head coach. So D'Amico Ryan's is, is kind of he's going to want his guy. The Houston Texans is an organization like I say I, I can't I, I can't for any stretch of the imagination imagine that they are sold on Davis Mills being the long-term future. But then, when you look at it as you've got two top 12 picks, like we, we talked about, do you take your best player available, which could be a Tyree Wilson, like you alluded to, or a Will Anderson, and then see what's cracking at, at, at pick 12? Because if you're not super sold on what we're imagining is going to be C.J. Stroud for the um Houston Texans. That sounds like it's going to be the option. There's a lot of and, and you, like you rightly so said, the void, the, the bookmakers as a as an analysis tool. But the, all the direction seems to be pointing towards Bryce Young, rightly or wrongly, as being the Carolina Panthers pick. So if you're the Texans at two and you're not sold on CJ Stroud or you're not sold on Will Levis, <clears throat> excuse me, and we'll get to Will Levis later on, I think. Um, the the you take the best player available, which may be Will Anderson or, or Tyree Wilson on the Texans ball. We just don't know. You look at you've got a defensive minded coach. You look at the history of the Houston Texans and when they've been most successful, and it's when they've been super strong on defense. You know, guys like JJ Watt, guys like you know Brian Cushing from the the linebacker position. When the Texans have been good, it's because they've been solid on defense. They've been terrifying on defense. One of a better phrase, and you could achieve that with Will Anderson or with Tyree Wilson. Um, and when you think about the the setup of the Houston Texans defense, a guy like Tyree Wilson, and there's been a lot of smoke about Tyree Wilson, his size, his strength, his sheer athleticism kind of does fit what you can imagine the Texans are going to want to do under D'Amico Ryans. Whereas Will Anderson is a is a smaller guy. I, I love Will Anderson. I think he's the best player in this class. But he is a smaller guy, and it, a lot of, of teams' draft boards are made on how players fit their teams. And I think Tyree Wilson is a good fit for the Houston Texan. Um, this, let's say, I, I, I think they have to go quarterback. I love CJ Stroud, and I think he's for me my best quarterback in this class. And if he's available, I, I don't see why you would let him go past. Um, but there is, there's certainly plenty of options for the Texans when they're on the clock at two and at twelve. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of this, the way I view sometimes, Ollie is like it's about managing risk, and the risk. Is less so if you're picking from number one. Now they blew that at the end of last season, and yeah, the bygones be bygones at this stage. Still, still kind of stings a little, to be honest. But I think when you think about managing risk, if you think any of these top five guys, right down to Hendon Hooker, who's injured or what have you, um, if you think any of them are good enough to be a franchise passer, you have to take them at two, in my view, because if if you are convinced, and they obviously aren't, 
if you're not convinced at two, you shouldn't be convinced at 12. And ultimately, I think you take best player available at 12 because you have 11 teams in front of you. Well, 10 teams in front of you because you pick at two. 10 teams in front of you too that will that will determine unless you trade up. And we're not really in a position to be giving away picks. We need to acquire maximum assets because, again, it's all a risk. 50% hit rate at best in the first round. So you, you can't really let a guy slide by in two for a defensive end who... You've either got an option of, okay, he's undersized, it might not be the perfect scheme fit. And then you've got Tyree Wilson, just like they picked Derek Stingley last year, again, a risk. You don't want to incur additional risk by picking a guy who's had two season-ended injuries and we're not quite sure where he is, fully health, fully cleared, etc. So I don't think you can pick the two at second overall and the third overall spot back-to-back with health risks. I just don't see that as being a feasible position. Therefore, Anderson... D'Amico Ryan is a former Alabama linebacker. He's probably in his head the perfect pick. But necessarily, is is the the club, I think, split on is C.G. Stroud necessarily the guy to pick? And and in your opinion, based on this West Coast play action, zone running scheme, which gives a lot of easy layup throws like Stroud had at the second level, should he be the pick there? What would you say is the biggest... Knock on not taking Stroud. The biggest pick on not on not taking him. Yeah. Um, what's, what's, the the what's the doubt that's set in? Yeah, in the building. Well, the I mean, for me, it's difficult to see with CJ Stroud as to what the the issues are now. It, it was only we only really saw his true potential as an NFL quarterback in that college football playoff semifinal game against Georgia. So. There is that, you know, that's been the knock on him throughout the processes. He's not as athletic as Bryce Young and certainly not as athletic as um, Anthony Richardson. And he doesn't grind out the yards as a runner like Will Levis. Well, that Georgia game, I think there was everything in the Georgia game again from uh, from C.J. Stroud to allay those fears. Um, There's obviously there's the helmet scouting Ohio State quarterbacks can't play in the NFL, but it's a lazy take. It's a lazy take to to throw that against CJ Stroud. Um, when I, when I look at CJ Stroud, I think he's a kid who has consistently overcome everything that's thrown at him in his college career. You know, early in his his time at Ohio State, when he was, he, you know, a couple of games at the start of his career when he came in to take over from Justin Fields, and everyone was like, "Oh, CJ Stroud ain't it, it." And he battled back and he showcased that he's an incredible quarterback talent. Um, but I think there, you know, the S two con- uh, cognition test results that came out, where he scored so lowly, has really been thrown at him as well. Especially as you know, the the the, the lazy take is that Ohio State quarterbacks can't read the offense, can't work in offense and read the defense at an NFL level, and then you come out with these test results. It's just a part of the evaluation, the same as the combines are part of the evaluation, and. You can't throw your full weight of um, of how you evaluate and scout prospects on what one solitary metric um, for me. And, and I, I think, like I said, I, I think CJ Stroud is a, a better NFL prospect than than Bryce Young. And I, I really like Bryce Young. That's not a, a knock on Bryce at all. Um, but I think you look at CJ Stroud. He's got the size. He's got the arm talent. He's shown that he can have the creative capacity. He's shown that he has got the athleticism to. To you know, grind out the yardage when it when needs be as a, a mobile creator, um, and, I, and he's shown for me that he can read full field uh, at the college football level, and that translates to the NFL level. Um, so I think you you put Davis Mills and you put CJ Stroud side by side, 
and that's your options for 2023. I, I don't see, I don't see that there's a, even a conversation to be had there, really. Yeah, no, I think so, and I think those results going to be limited. And look, I don't think they did have any favors last year. Would he probably play better in the system? Yeah, I think every quarterback does. I think there's a a proven record of that. But can you sustainably go into this season with the fanfare and the and the positivity? I suppose you built up with D'Amico Ryan's. Is that is that deflated by not taking a quarterback? And I think the answer absolutely is. I think if you if you if you dice with danger and wait till twelve, then we'll wait and see uh, for it. I think you know. Look, ultimately, if they can trade out of two, and you and you kick the can down for the road for a year, but yet you get additional players, that's kind of for me a justification of doing so. It's not one I would necessarily take on because ultimately, if you hit on all those three players, you say, oh, "Well, I built up a, a roster, and then therefore next year we'll go we'll go back at the big two coming through uh, for the guy from South Carolina and USC." But that's one thing I want to ask you: Are those two guys worth waiting for, and and is the risk worth worth taking? Well, this was got to say because it is a risk every year, and it feels it feels like every year that this conversation is had in you know scouting circles in the media between analysts. It's, it feels like every year is the next year for the. Um, yeah, for the quarterback position, and we've seen it this year. Now everyone's picked apart Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson and Will Levis to the point now where we're thinking, oh, we'll move on to next year because Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to be so much better. And I bet this time next year we're having the same conversation. I really like Caleb Williams. There is limitations to limitations is is not the right word. There, there's things he needs to work out and he needs to show in this coming season for USC. I don't think he's this all-world NFL draft prospect right now, but he's got another year to work on it. And it's the same with Drake May. Um, and Drake May will be get will be, you know, he'll be get hit with the North Carolina Mitchell Trubisky lazy scouting criticisms when we get to this point next year. It's always a risk, like you say, the, the NFL draft is a risk. It's a crapshoot at the end of the day. And you're you can't just bank on um waiting another year because Tomorrow might never come for for the Texans, and if they if they can take a guy like CJ Stroud at two, I, I think their options to trade back, by the way, I think are exceptionally limited, just because of Arizona being in the position they are now. If Arizona were a team that needed a quarterback, I think the Texans trade um, capital and the, the how they can you know pivot that to pick to a, another team because there's a lot of teams that do need quarterbacks, but it feels like Arizona is kind of that three hole shot to get ahead of the Indianapolis Colts, whereas mm. I don't think there's going to be a super amount of, of teams clamouring to get up to two, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I, I did see there was a rumour that the Vikings were, you know, and, uh, it's all bullshit, let's be honest. But, you know, it's fun, <laughs> it's, it's fun to it's fun to make permeations of it, or permutations of it, rather, um, for it. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, is, are they going to trade back to and is somebody going to give up? And, you know, to get up that high is quite far, actually. I think they'd probably be better trading out of 12. Um, and who knows who knows what's going to happen at one but I think yeah, taking another player like Wilson is an injury risk and I think yeah if you can trade back any of those spots and gather assets and then you know for one, perhaps one if you get a first for next year that maybe gives you the belief that you can go and then make the move that you have because you'll have no team will have three first round picks in theory you know what can happen but I think people are erring away from those big trades because not many of them have worked out for a prolonged period of time we'll see where the Watson goes one uh, where the Watson trade goes for Cleveland, but ultimately we're year two, two of three of this dividend or yield that you've got from them. So we'll see. But they've got to start paying back. I think that's the big thing that Casario has to start 
picking quality players. Now, we talked about, or you touched on earlier, lack of blue chip players. I saw a quote in the Albert Breer column today, which I always read pre-draft, and I encourage you to, I to tweet it out today if you've not read it. But ultimately, he said there was a quote from a GM, anonymous quote, again, you know, take it, take it with a pinch of salt, what you will. But ultimately, there is a limitation of top-end, first-round, true first-round grade players. And he listed them as Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, Paris Johnson, Pierce Skaronski, and Bijan Robinson. Plus, you know, take your pick of the quarterbacks in there. Once you get past that sphere of players, some or may or may not be there at 12, depending on which quarterbacks go. In a, in a world, for example, where if you push the quarterbacks to one side, because we'll come back to them before we write this bit off, of those guys you mentioned, is there anyone that's missing or would you say there's a standout there that the Texans ideally would want to be there at 12 should they sit there and pick? Yeah, I I didn't hear the name of Lucas Van Ness mentioned there. And Lucas Van Ness is an interesting one. I paired him up with the Texans in my latest three-round NFL mock draft. Um, and he's a guy who has, um, has, has garnered a lot of early first-round talk despite not being a starter at Iowa. Um, is that's kind of I, I love the Lucas Van Ness didn't start at Iowa um, narrative because it's objectively it's true, but it's also hilariously wrong in that he played a hell of a lot of snaps for Iowa as much as you would expect from a starter. He just wasn't the starter, which is is hilarious. But he's a you know he's a big, strong, imposing, powerful defensive end who's got a lot of. Um, potential, a lot of athletic upside, um, who I, I think could be there for the Texans and would make would make for a great pick. Um, the the thing with uh, the like the first round, the blue chip quality player is people get lulled into a, a sec- false sense of security that there's thirty two picks. Obviously, there's only thirty one picks this year, but there's ordinarily thirty two picks in the first round, so there must be thirty two first round players and that you know that isn't the case in most draft years and this is this draft class is no exception um and for specific teams they will have guys who aren't first round players on their board because they, they, they simply do not fit what they want to do on the um the respective side of the football whether it's defensively or offensively um which is you know it makes for a fascinating study into the NFL draft because you you know me you you and I might be talking about a guy who we think should go in the first round but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a first round player yeah and I think you've got you know a guy like Miles Murphy going at 10 below above that um what do you think of Murphy I know certainly John Harris at works for the Texas opinion I trust her on the show quite a few times he thinks a lot of Murphy would he be a guy What's the drop off between Wilson and Anderson to Murphy? It's probably a good way to put it. I think the um, the, the drop off comes purely on the fact that Miles Murphy, at this point in his development, isn't as refined as Will Anderson and isn't quite as athletic as Tyree Wilson. But he tested incredibly well at the Clemson Pro Day. Um, at this moment in time, he is a, a, a defensive end who wins solely with his combination of strength, size, and speed. I think there's a lot of development potential for him in how he um, puts together pass rush uh, moves and combos. Um, but he's a, again, he's another guy that comes off the Clemson defensive end factory who should mm-hmm. go in the first round and could go early. Um, 
the the pro day testing, I think, really has helped Miles Murphy. I think those guys, Miles Murphy and Brian Brucey, both Clemson guys, they kind of felt like there was a um, like they were dropping a little bit out of the conversation and out of contention right at the top of the class or even in the first round. I think both of those guys um, should go in the first round. And for the Texans, I think if Brian Brees is a guy that's still there at 33, um, he's a guy you could plug in on your interior of your defensive line as well. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think any of these positions, there are so many needs on this team. I think that's that's for that's for fair to say. <laughs> Um, just on the on the on the cornerbacks, if the tech you you've got um, Christian Gonzalez going first off the board in terms of cornerbacks, I believe. Um, what sort of level, if you compare, you know, say, about Stingley and 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 Sauce coming out last year, where is is he in that tier, or or do you or do you see him a tier below that? Is it more strength and depth for this this class? I think there's the strength and depth in this class. I honestly believe it. And you look at guys like Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon. I I think we can we can both probably sit here and say that, that Derek Stingley hasn't been quite as productive, as exciting, as impactful as as the Texans clearly thought they were getting at three. Um, Source Gardner on the other hand has been been incredible. I, I think Gonzalez has got the potential to to come in and. Have that level of impact somewhere between the the Gardner and the the Stingley um, level of impact for a, an NFL team in, as a rookie. Um, the everything about him screams long term lockdown cornerback uh, in the NFL. He's the size, the length, the speed, but it's the fluidity of movement with Christian Gonzalez. This this few players he wears is fluid and he possesses that football intelligence. He routinely puts himself in the right place to make plays. And all that comes together to make a, a cornerback who um would you have taken him if you were picking at three? If he was in last year's class, maybe not, but I think he's solidly in that sort of five, six, seven, eight. I can't see him um if I I, I did a a mock draft with the Jeff Reinbold show yesterday where Christian Gonzalez was still there at the 14th pick. And I was absolutely mm. flabbergasted because I, <laughs> I I just don't see how a guy of his talent falls that far when there's teams that are picking um, like the Detroit Lions, like the Las Vegas Raiders, who could potentially take a cornerback of the Seattle Seahawks. I wouldn't rule out the Seahawks picking yeah. there at five. that They could take a cornerback as well. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's a top 10 guy for me. I, I think it's... Uh, it would be a shock to see him fall beyond the midway point of the first round. Yeah, and I, I feel sorry for Stingley because he was asked to play zone, and then he only played twelve games. And when he, uh, when he, you know, and he, and you could see him learning to play zone. And I think obviously he's trying to cut man cover corner. Interesting, Casario's philosophy has been built from the back end of the defence back to front and potentially that's an option. And at pick seventy three in your third round mock draft is a later round option. You, uh, you. Oh, it's Hodgson. I'm not going to pronounce his first name, but Hodges Tomlinson from TCU. Um, uh, there's a capital V and a and a, and a, <laughs> and a single question there. But anyway, Travis, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. Travis, yeah, um, bit of a, bit of an unusual spelling of that. But anyway, as as, as they often can be at times. But is he a guy I've seen kind of talked about a fair bit? Is, what does he offer late in the round? For example, is it is is he the kind of potential sort of second round talent that people are saying you can get in the third round issue. Is that how deep the cornerback class is? There's a combination of that. There's a combination of size issues as well, because the kid comes in at five foot nine. Um and obviously there's a well there's a number of cornerbacks that are 
are that size and there's the immediate question mark over, well, can they play outside in the NFL at, at that size? I think Travis Hodges Tomlinson is he's aggressive, he's physical, but he's also like we mentioned with with Gonzalez, he's fluid, his athletic ability, sideline sideline range. Um he's uh he he's a, an absolute dog really when you you look at him on the football field like Clark Phillips uh, out of Utah as well these two smaller cornerbacks who I think consistently play bigger than their size Travis Hodges Thompson is extremely sticky in man coverage as well um and he's a sort of he's the sort of guy that you can pl- you can plug him in as a nickelback we wouldn't feel too uncomfortable about him being a liability for you if you were to play him on the outside as well, um, and if you're picking it, if you you're picking a cornerback in the third round who has got the production, has the talent, you know, this is a kid who won the um, the Jim Thorpe Award, the um, defensive back of the year at college football level. Like he's no small kid, five foot nine either. So um, mm. I think he's a he's a, a playmaker that you could pick up in the third round just purely because he's a smaller cornerback. That's extremely good value. Yeah, no, I think so. It's, it's certainly a position you can have enough enough of. Um, in terms of the wide receiver class, I think the the, the people or the the onlookers at large via the media have p- perhaps come round to the fact that this perhaps isn't isn't necessarily the elite talent at wide receiver. A lot of undersized guys, not necessarily a prototypical X, which the Texans are looking for. You've got Quinn Johnson, who potentially is that mould. Some you know kind of elements of his game are questioned. Obviously, you know, displayed his game on the national stage. Um, right through with TCU's run this year in college football, he drops to thirty three. Um, do you see? Do you see any guys going in the first round apart from uh, Smith and Jake, but that are going to necessarily be locks? There's obviously Trey Flowers and uh, Jalen Hyatt, pace guys, all speed guys on the perimeter often seem to kind of get kind of taken up quickly. But um, if it's not Johnson at thirty three, uh, what what do you make of this class for a team that desperately need to fill? wide receiver spot at, at least once out of the 12 picks should they take 12 yeah I think it's um, it's interesting that this has been so wildly like widely derided the wide receiver class because I think there is a lot of playmakers in this class who can make an impact now there's not an elite um, you take Jackson Smith and Jigber out of the question there's not an elite um, blue chip high you know top tier top 10 pick like we have had in recent years and I think that's part of the problem is there's a tendency to judge each draft class against the previous one or what we've had in the last five years for example and you, you just you're not every year gonna produce you know four or five guys who can go potentially in the top 16 20 picks of the NFL draft at the wide receiver position it's just just not going to happen um but I think there's a there's a lot of great talent um I had, yeah, like I say, I had Quentin Johnston fall to 33 in the in the mock draft. There is some noise about people, uh, about teams having some concerns over him. It's not out of the possibility that teams will wait until the second round as well to, to snag a quarterback, uh, snag a wide receiver, sorry. And, you know, you've got guys like Quentin Johnston. You mentioned Jalen Hyatt. You brought up Jalen Hyatt. I really like Cedric Tillman, his teammate. I think you mentioned the risk of picking a guy who's coming off an injury, and obviously he did lose time last season, did miss time last season. Um, but he is, I think he's a better wide receiver prospect in this class than Jalen Hyatt. He's got the size. He's got, he's no slouch himself in terms of being a straight line athlete. But a lot of what he does to win on the football field doesn't necessarily, you know, depend on him being able to be a straight line burner. 
throttles down well, changes direction well, he's reliable, he's got a reliable set of hands. I think Cedric Tillman, if he was there at 33, that's a guy that the Texans should really have their eye on um, because he can play that, like you say, he can play that prototypical X role in the in the Houston Texans offense. Uh, but you, you, you're going to get these big-bodied guys like later on in the in the class as well. If they were to wait it out until you know like four round five, even the 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 last stages of day three that can make an impact, you're obviously not going to get a guy who's going to be an instant impact maker and an instant starter. You, there's, there's going to be talent there to to put on the roster because it's not just a case of finding a starter, you've got to find some depth as well. Yeah, I think if you look at the history of the top sort of three or four picks in the second round, they potentially bear fruits, you know, more often than not. I think it is a sweet spot. So it'll be intrigued there. Uh, pick 65 overall, though, the one we haven't touched on. Luke uh, Weipler, Centre Ohio State, day one starter. Yep. I think there's I think there's three guys in this centre glass who um, can be day day one starters, and that's um, John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota, Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin, and it's um, it's Luke Whipler out of Ohio State. But again, there's there's some guys in the later rounds as well. If if you're looking for a guy to develop, uh, Alex Forsyth out of Oregon, he's a good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. It's true. Probably one of the biggest um, things in the team underrated. I think this year, yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing with centre position is as well, those two guys at the top, John Michael Schmitz and Joe Tipman, they will they will be there in the second round. Um because the you know, the NFL has, has proven time and time again that there's not a super sort of value placed on the centre position in the draft. So, you know, you look at thirty three and that's that could be an option there with one of those yeah. two guys. Who's the guy in this class, Ollie, that uh, is your favourite guy and you'd be delighted to watch his progress and see where he goes that you potentially, maybe he's not got the love elsewhere? There's a couple of guys. Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback out of Mississippi State, for a guy who is yep. the NCAA record holder for touchdown interception, uh, for interception touchdowns. His play backs up the stats. That's what I, that, that gets me with Emmanuel Forbes. If this kid weighed 190 pounds, We'd be talking about him as slam dunk, slam dunk first round pick. He's very slender, and I think that's the the knock on him. I really like Emmanuel Forbes, BJ Ojolari out of LSU, the the edge rusher. I don't think there's many pass rushers in this class who combine the explosiveness that BJ Ojolari possesses, but also he's he's already an NFL pass rusher in terms of his his tool, his pass rush toolbox and his intelligence to to combine moves and to counter moves. Um, didn't test very well at the combine. Turns out he was injured, but a lot of people already write him off because of that. Uh, I look at Emmanuel Forbes and BJ Ojolari on the on the defensive side, and then wide receiver is Jaden Reed. And I know Jaden Reed has taken a top thirty visit with the Texans, um, mm. which would be that would be a great snag for them because he's a guy who is incredibly fast, uh, incredibly elusive in the open field. Or a very underrated pass catcher at the point as well for me. He's a very reliable, great body control, good ball tracking, timing of his, his of jumping to 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 snag the ball out of the air. Really good pass catching technique. A lot of people just view him as a gimmick, and and he, he definitely isn't that. If Bijan Robinson hits twelve, can you see any team say no? Well, plenty of if he's hit twelve, plenty of people will have said no because he's a top five prospect. Or can a bad team uh, say no? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be intrigued to see what the Philadelphia Eagles like. They see him like a natural fit for um, B. John Robinson, and it would be a terrifying fit for the rest of the NFL as well. But they don't value the running back position in the first round. They don't, they don't value a lot of positions in the first round, to be fair. Um, I think the Texans need 
too much to take Bijan, if that makes sense. Um, exactly, yeah, exactly. You could take Jameer Gibbs in the second round. You could, you know, there's there's, there's options. I don't think the the Texans have got the luxury to all the offensive line for, for Bijan Robinson to come in and, and be instantly successful. Unfortunately, if if it's if Bryce isn't there and Strout is not the flavor, which one of the other three? do you think justifies either 2 or 12 and you think you can see from what you've seen has the chance to be It's Anthony Richardson for me if it's not one of the of, of Young or, or Stroud just because his frame, his build, his athleticism. Um, you're a Texans fan, you know what they did to David Carr. Um, if you're a um, if you're a quarterback coming into the NFL, you're and you'll expect to start straight away, and you're a high pick, it's probably because the offensive line that's in front of you is not great, and that's why a team is picking so highly. Um, Anthony Richardson's got the frame to stand up to the rigors of the NFL. He's got the athleticism to be able to escape the pocket. He's got the... Uh, a lot of people don't talk about how well Anthony Richardson manipulates the pocket with his movement. Um, there's a lot to work on in terms of how he manipulates you know, in, in reading coverage, how he manipulates the safety by looking, you know, that sort of thing. But he manipulates the pocket very well. His pocket composure is good. His athleticism to escape the pocket is great. You need that. You're going to need that as a rookie star in the NFL. And then he's obviously the arm talent is incredible as well. So I think between those three, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick Will Levis at 2 or 12 personally. I'm not sold on him in, in going forward. I think Hendon Hooker, you mentioned about, See uh, about Derek Stingley and the injury. That's going to be a concern for teams. He's an older, older rookie as well, which may be a concern for teams. I do like Hendon Hooker's game. I don't like it well enough to be a, a you know one to one to sixteen back end of the first round. If you want to get a fifth year option on a quarterback, that's probably the time to take Hendon Hooker for me. Um, if you're not worried about that fifth year early in the second, maybe. But but Will Levis doesn't move the needle for me, especially at, at two or twelve. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's fair um, in terms of the the easy assessment. So night one, nobody really knows where it's going to go. The intrigue is probably <laughs> starts at two. Um, any sneaky predictions or or feelings you've got that might happen that you want to put out there before it all unfolds? Well, for the Texans, well, I, I, or or generally, I, yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think it seems fairly certain that that Brad Chung is going to be the guy at one. I think you have to take CJ Stroud at two. If if you look at who the Texans have brought in on top 30 visits, cornerback, I don't think he's out of the question at 12 if one of those guys is there. Yeah. They brought in Deontay Banks out of Maryland. They brought in uh, Julius Brents out of Kansas State, who could be a sneaky back end of the first round pick. Um, if we want to play predictions, I, I, let's go with that. I think Julius Brents maybe becomes the first round pick. Um, Let's go with that as a sneaky prediction. Um, but I think I think more than the one wide receiver goes day one. Um because that's been a common that's been a common perception that just one wide receiver goes day one. I think more yeah. than one wide receiver goes. Um but yeah. <laughs> I think Anthony Richardson to the Colts. I'd like to book that in in pen as well. But I feel I, I don't think there's a better fit. Quarterback fit, scheme fit than, than Anthony Richardson and the, and the Indianapolis Colts. And that's the biggest thing that I think, regardless of the talent evaluation is there or not, 
whether it works out long term. The focus in the immediacy, if you miss or you don't take one of these guys and they go to the Colts or one even makes it down to Tennessee and you've got to see that twice this year, the short-term view for Nick Casario, and this is a, a career-defining draft as it pertains to the Texans' job, and not many GMs get second jobs out of it. That's going to really put a focus this decision. But it's fascinating stuff. Ollie, thank you very much for your time. We just want to do a quick run-through um, just to keep you going before the draft kicks off this week. But um, any final words before we shoot out here? I really appreciate you having me on. always enjoy coming on, talking to Texans. Looking forward to seeing them uh, see what happens with it too. As long as we get a couple of starters and something to, to hold on and some foundations built out, um, then it's a start. And I think D'Amico has got has got a bit of a free reign on this big contract. And it's just whether Casario is going to be here to pick along with him. I think that's, that is the question. But thank you again for listening, everybody. Thanks to Ollie for his time. We'll be back at some point, potentially the Monday following the draft, see how things shake out. Uh, and thanks again for listening to the Turn Up for One Podcast.